Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan give an overview about digital photo editing, also known as post-processing talking about their own personal styles and what they seek out of editing photos, and then they discuss basic adjustments versus deep edits, including global sliders, layers, masks, HDR, and more. As always, we hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, and the follow us on Instagram at All Outdoors Photography Podcast. Welcome back to episode 37 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the post-production side of the fact. Yep, we're going to be talking about all things photo editing, um, specifically, I think, digital photo editing, which is what both Henry and I do mainly. So we're just going to be talking about all that and uh, the fun ways you can creatively uh, express yourself through your photographs. Yeah, there's just so much you could do on your computer. You just really transform your photo, make slight adjustments, just very versatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the uh, digital dark room, as they say, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I do want to make uh, one note before we get into the podcast. If the audio doesn't sound as good as normal, uh, we've had a power outage, so we're both recording on our phones, uh, essentially. So the audio might be a little bit off, but uh, hopefully it's not too bad for you guys. Yep. Show must go on. Yep. We get it done. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm actually, fun fact, I'm actually under a blanket right now. So, <laughs> yeah. In case you want to isolate and muffle the sound a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Yep. That's one way to do it. So uh-huh. so what, what would you say is your post-processing like workflow and style like? And like what software do you use? Okay, so I use a combination of Lightroom and Photoshop. So Lightroom is where I catalog everything and do most of my edits, and then I'll take it into Photoshop, um, especially for landscapes. If I want to do some, like, more, like, cleanup work, like, like uh, remove, like, large portions of the image or, like, remove the log or remove some trash. Um, and I'll also do, like, I don't do, uh, like, brackets, but I'll do uh, focus stacks in Photoshop, uh, but mostly Lightroom. But there's a nice, like, integration between the two. So I, I use them in tandem uh fairly frequently okay it's yeah what do you use oh sorry go ahead no i was just gonna make a comment yeah i I think it's interesting though like like you're saying you use kind of like more than one software and i've I've noticed that with a lot of people's workflows i've talked about with is that they kind of use several different tools i guess to achieve their Um, photographic you know visions or whatever yeah uh, the thing I the thing I like about Photoshop and Lightroom stuff, it really doesn't feel like separate softwares because you could open in Photoshop directly from Lightroom, and then when you save in Photoshop as well, it goes right back to Lightroom. Uh, so it's really nice, it's really convenient. Yeah, it's neat when it's nice when like both you got like the same kind of brand software because they do kind of work together. At least I'd hope they do. So and then Adobe especially yeah. would work that way. Yeah. So Photoshop and Lightroom, you know, they play pretty well, I'd say. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, so what do you use? Yeah, um, so I use mainly Skylum software. So I have like Luminar um 2018 and three. Uh three is the newer uh, version of it, which has like this full-blown catalog library, um, digital assets management, which is basically like what Lightroom is comparatively. Um, but I use 2018 mainly just because it's it runs a lot better on my lower end, my lower spec uh, desktop computer here. Um, but uh, yeah, I use those mainly. Um, Aurora HDR for uh, bracketed shots, which we'll get into a little bit more later. Um, and then just a variety of other different tools um, like uh, Helicon Focus for focus stacking, uh, Hugin uh, for panorama stitching. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty much it. What's that? Great variety, definitely. You're using the multiple <laughs> programs. What I'll say is like I use the Luminar program the most, just because most okay. images most images serve that basic. Like I use that to treat my basic ad- adjustments. And um, the Aurora uh, software I use mainly just well, obviously for brackets. Mainly, it's pretty much all it's really good for specifically. But it does that really well. Uh, I will say. 
Um, and like the other t- the other tools I use very seldomly, just because I don't take those kind of shots a lot. But um, they're just like specialized, I guess, software you know tools they use. Um, but yeah, I mean, I use those mainly. Um, and my workflow kind of just goes with that, where it's like I'll just choose whatever software I need to make the like shot work. I guess overall, um, my styles my styles pretty bare bones, honestly. Like I just keep it to lots of uh, basic adjustments. I really don't like to go overboard with most shots. Um, I just feel like most of them don't call for it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just keeping it real nice and simple. Um, I, I will. I'm not afraid to like make it overpower that saturation or something if I need to, but I usually like to keep things real nice and simple. Hey, yeah, I think hey, wait, 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 for wait. nature Henry. photography, it's kind of Henry. Definitely. Hello. Okay. Can you hear me? I know you're making like a lot of shuffling sound. I think. I am. Yeah, I was hearing a lot of sh- sh- sounds when I was talking. Oh, here, let me move to a different seat. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Okay. Sorry about that. I, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Like, yeah, t- go ahead and talk when you're ready. I don't know, I was just hearing like a lot of sound. Okay. All right, go ahead. Yeah, uh, one sec. You can still hear me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm hearing everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, this should work. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I like how you use the combination and you know, you mentioned you don't go overboard on that. Like, it doesn't seem like you use all of those programs every time. That's uh, a good thing not to, like, overuse things, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be consistent, I guess. Like, using the same tools, maybe, like, ones that you're familiar with. But, um, yeah, I'd agree where it's, like, it's nice to have some variety. But, you know, just use what you know best, I think, is the, the name of the game here. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, that repetition of editing really allows for an efficient workflow. It's really just essential. You don't want to have to learn something new every time you want to edit a photo. Like, even if your editing software isn't perfect, like, you need to find a way around it. Like, we, we don't have the luxury of switching every time we need a different look or something. So, right, right. Yeah, I mean, Everyone learns it differently too, I think. Like, um, I really have not used Lightroom all that much, which I know it sounds like heresy because it's like a photographer's dream software, I guess. Cause like, I think most people use it, honestly. Um, and same with Photoshop, of course. But yeah, it's just all about finding what works for you and like what you like to uh, use and gravitate towards. Like, I just found like the tools on this, uh, the software I use is like, it works for me. I know how to use it pretty well, I think now. And um, to to change up and switch up things might be nice, but like I feel like it's just kind of going to like alienate you almost too in your editing process. Yeah, um, and I will say this: this might be kind of controversial, but Lightroom isn't you know it's not like some magical software. It's it's slow. So the majority <laughs> of photographers there is a more modern Lightroom called Lightroom Creative Cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the majority of photographers will use Lightroom Classic, including me, and it's really old. Like it's an old software. It's very slow. It's not well optimized. Uh, <laughs> takes a while to use. Um, so it's not the greatest thing in the world. Like I think a lot of photographers are afraid to switch to like Luminar, like you use. But um, you know, it's it's definitely not like the holy grail that everyone you know makes it seem like. You know, it's just a tool ultimately. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and like what you use shouldn't really matter that much, but I know for the sake of this episode, it does. I mean, cause we're talking about it a little more in depth than we normally would. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, especially with Luminar and the versus Lightroom is they get, they get compared a lot, sometimes unfavorably. Um, but they, they're pretty different softwares. I'd say they just happen to have the same kind of set of tools. Um, and then some, of course. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It just depends though. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's kind of get into uh, some of the post processing uh, like techniques. But I want to start with I know we mentioned workflow, but I want to kind of dive in a little bit more. So when you kind of first go on the computer after a shoot or whenever you edit your images, what is the like the first thing you do to prepare uh, for like editing the photo itself? Yeah, like how do you import or like do you 
Uh, well, um, I know we did an episode about workflow, but um, I'll just like touch upon it briefly. Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking we could briefly just say like, do you edit right away or do you save it to a folder? Oh, uh, okay. you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I sort and categorize and organize everything by like location, month, year. I kind of break it down all these different things. Um, and then obviously like the photo, the raw files themselves are time stamped. They have like my branded, my business name on there like embedded into the raw file. Um, and then it has the day of the, um, excuse me, the date, the time. Um, I don't geotag my stuff. That's just personal preference um, for my own reasons. Um, just to keep things, you know, separate, I guess. But I, I know where the locations are and I keep them in folders that are named for those locations or whatnot. Um, but yeah, th that's what I first do is upon image import. Um, I just throw everything onto the respective folders. Um, and then from there, it's, I get out usually a pad of paper because I'm old fashioned and a pen and I start writing down the raw file names, uh, the file names. So like if I'm at the raw or 0011.cr2 is my Canon raw file, uh, file extension. Um, and I'll just write down like just the, the numbers, so to speak, and I'll like separate them by commas. So like, I'll just make out a list basically of all the different like raw files I'd edit for like this session or whatever, however many images I'm oh. looking at. Yeah. And then, wow. yeah, this is what I do. So I get this big long list and then I'll just sit down, put on like a podcast like this or some music or something and just kind of churn through them. Not, not too fast, I'll say, but like, I'll just go through them in a session or, you know, an evening or something if I have time um, and just, you know, turn out the edits. But like I said, I, I keep everything pretty easy. Um, not, nothing. I don't, I honestly, I go pretty fast with edits um, and I, it's kind of like a guilty thing, but um, I know a lot of people will spend like hours on slaving away on this one image. Um, and I'm very kind of quick, like I'm just quick to capture the, the, the feeling and the essence of the image. And so I usually take about probably like five, 10 minutes, maybe most on each image, unless it just requires a lot of extra cloning or dodging and burning maybe. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, import, uh, categorize, separate, and then I just start loading them up one by one. Um, I junk, I junk the files that are clearly out of focus or overexposed or underexposed. Um, any of that stuff that's like very obvious upon you first opening the image file um, on like the photo viewer app or uh, software. Um, and yeah, and then I just write down like the ones I want to edit. Um, I'm not going to uh, edit all the ones that I keep, of course, but like I'll keep more than I need to. I think I should keep. Um, so basically junk the really bad ones, I guess. Um, keep everything that's okay, the great and excellent. And then only edit the great, the excellent stuff, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah. yeah, so basically it's like a calling process of multi-step like process for me. And I, I'm pretty choosy. I'll edit more than I think I like really, really like, but not everything's going to get uploaded to like social media or my website, of course. Um, and yeah, I just edit the select few images I do and then yeah, export and um, downsize the JPEG files and pretty much it. So at least on that front. So you, you downsize the JPEGs, you said? Yeah, I use a software. Uh, I'm not affiliated, but I guess I can, I can plug it. Um, it's called JPEG Mini Pro. It is paid software. Um, I honestly don't remember how much I paid for it, but it's a one-time license uh, for one use on like one computer, so to speak. Um, and it's, it's really affordable. And honestly, it makes a big, big difference because um, it's, it doesn't downsize your JPEGs. Um, and I've done like a good test of like side by side and I'm like, I don't see a difference, but it does have usually about half the, uh, the file size. And so, um, I export about 80% quality, um, which, you know, ah. yeah, you can do 80, 80 is like a good sweet spot. Cause anything above that JPEG quality, at least for that file, um, that file type specifically is going to be about the same. But, um, basically what I'm saying is when I end up with like an export file, that's like 15 megabytes. That's going to add up over time. I mean, memory's cheap nowadays, but you know, I still want to save as much yeah, space, I guess, and hard drive um, storage as much as I can. And so, over these past couple of years of all these images I'm editing and everything, and all these raw files, it adds up pretty quick, I think. And then, um, not including, of course, the video and stuff I do too, which adds up a lot more quickly, of course. Oh my god! Yeah, the video <laughs> is just insane. Yeah, don't get me started on that. But I'm at the yeah. gills with that stuff um, in terms of storage space. Um, but, um, yeah, that software is really nice because it does like cut your, your file size in pretty much in half. And for each file, I mean, 
And uh, yeah, I'll just, anytime I'm done exporting a series of images, new stuff or old, whatever, um, I'll throw them on that software. And it's pretty quick software. Like it just turns them right through and you can have them save it to overwrite the file, which I do now because I'm comfortable with using it. I'm not afraid it's going to, you know, lessen the quality and it still looks great. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, you're being very efficient, which is cool. Like, you're, mm. you're finding the point where you don't lose, like, quality or clarity. I mean, of course, you're losing quality, but, like, not perceptible quality. So. Yeah, I don't know, like, the actual, like, science, I guess, of, like, the pixels per inch or, you know, the density. I don't know, like, what to call it. But, like, I just, all I know is I'm looking at the numbers on the files, and I'm like, that's reducing the file size, but it's not reducing the quality. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. which is like yeah. obviously like an ideal like scenario because obviously you don't want, yeah, you, normally you, you don't want to reduce reset, quality i mean you're a big like you do a lot of social media stuff so you <laughs> you also do prints and stuff but like you're kind of resizing your images for the media i guess uh-huh yeah and that's just like yeah. the finished jpeg so i mean like like i said or like what you mentioned i can print those out and they they look pretty good if i enlarge them it might look a little wonky at times um, depending on the papers and the size, of course, and if I crop them at all, um, crop them for print uh, specifically. But um, yeah, I mean, like just throw them on social media or on my website. It looks perfect if you ask me. You couldn't ask for more. And I don't even have like a really high end like megapixel count DSLR either. But you know, it looks it looks great and it works for my needs. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. So I. Uh... When I come back to the field, I import the raw files to two drives, just the exact same, so like just a duplicate basically. Um, one of those drives, which is the SSD, I'll edit off of that nice and faster. Um, and then I will import it into Lightroom. Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, that'll build a one-to-one preview so I can like see the full resolution file. Uh, it doesn't take up any extra storage, but it like basically loads the file from the folder um, so you can see the full thing. Uh, and that's, I, I find that critical so I can like check focus and stuff to make sure it's actually in focus and loading the full thing. Uh, and then I'll get into my editing specific later. Uh, but after I throw an edit on that, I will export. I, I'm kind of different than you. I'm kind of a sharpness snob, kind of like, that's if there's one thing about photography I could obsess over is sharpness really. So I will export full res, uh, twenty six megapixels, whatever that is. I don't know the dimensions of that. Uh, but uh, I find like I've tried recycling for social media media, but I find that uh, I just don't like the results how Instagram deals with it. Like I like how Instagram handles my full res JPEGs. Um, I like how my print website handles that as well. Um, so I'll just do that. Uh, full res works for me. Um, I don't find that the storage is horrible. Uh, the, the place where storage really sucks is the raw files, but there's nothing you can do about that. You would want to reset the raw files, of course. Um, but yeah, um, also for printing, if I ever print, I'll do like a separate export. I have a different folder for that. So I'll add some exposure because you know uh, when you print it can sometimes come out a bit dark. Um, I'll change the contrast a bit uh, depending on where I'm printing it. And yeah, that's that's what I do for export and import. So it works pretty well. Hmm. I, I do like sharpness though. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, did, did I mention that I don't like sharpness? No, I always, I, I would recommend <laughs> It's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I recommend, um, I guess a little pointer here is that always, like, if you do want to sharp, sharpen your photo, of course, um, always wait till, like, that's the very last thing before export. Um, because it's yes. like, if you're messing around with, like, other, I don't know, sliders or anything that just tweaks the image at all, and then you sharpen, like, like let's say you denoise the shot, or even if you oh, raise yeah, it. Yeah, if you raise the noise, especially, or, like, you just keep it where it's at, and, like, you... Let's say you shot the image at a high ISO because it was a dark woodland or there's a bird that's, you know, just in the shadow or whatever. And then you sharpen that image. It's going to sharpen the noise because that's what's present in the image, of course, like embedded into that image file. 
And um, you may not like that or you may not want it at all. So, I mean, it's, it's important to think, I, I feel like it's important to really get a workflow that both makes sense and works for you, like I keep saying. And so that's just like one little step I'd recommend is that, you know, sharpen the yeah. very last, the very last step should really be that if you so choose. I used to make that mistake you mentioned where I sharpened first and then I did noise reduction. I don't know why I thought that would work. It's not. You got to do it completely opposite. But. Yeah, in that in that instance, yeah, completely opposite. Um, or at least reverse those two things, those two steps. Um, I mean, this is yeah, that's one instance. But um, uh, Skyline Lunar is interesting because it has. Um, I actually don't use like the proper. It's called sharpening, of course. Like I don't use the sharpening slider. Um, but I use a different, it's like kind of like a proprietary, like their own name for it. Um, but it's called details enhancer. Um, and that effectively is the same as sharpening, um, at least in my experience, but, um, it kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like sharpens, but it, it like kind of adds like a slight contrast to everything. So it's like, a, it has like a nice look to it that I really like. So I use actually and, uh, use clarity. Well, that, that's, that's also on there, but, um, no, it's just called, it's, uh, it's just called details enhancer. Which is the weird thing, but yeah, there is a clarity slider that I use. I use that pretty much. I use that on most images, just a little bit. Um, but no, it's it's just called details enhancer. I don't know, but it's it's basically yeah. like a sharpener and like and then some, I guess, which is neat. Yeah, I I, I know. Uh, probably the Adobe equivalent of that is Smart Sharpens in Photoshop. It's kind yeah. of like a automatic thing. Um, kind of it's enhances the details. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also have a clarity slider, but uh, I, I personally despise the Lightroom clarity slider because uh, it, it adds a blue cast to your photo. I don't know why, but it does. I know how clarity, <laughs> what a blue cast has to do with clarity, but there's always a heavy blue that goes over your image. I think I think I noticed that too, actually. Yeah, it depends on the color, yeah. like the tones of the image itself. But yeah, I noticed it kind of does cool things to a little bit, so to speak. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's interesting though. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what I thought. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, sharpening is pretty obvious tool. Like, I'm pretty sure that's one, probably, probably for you too, it's like one of the first ones you really get the grasp, I guess, when it comes to software. It's just obvious yep. what it's, uh -huh. its role is pretty one one dimensional, so to speak, where it's just sharpen yeah. the image or de-sharpen uh -huh. it, soften it. I think there is a little bit of nuance though, like, Especially for wildlife photography, I will not sharpen the overall image at all. So mm. I'll put it down to zero. And then I'll I'll get a brush in Lightroom and I'll paint the sharpening on the bird or on the animal. Um, so I can just I can choose what areas of the image to sharpen. So I don't get extra artifacts of sharpening in places in the image that I, I don't care about sharpness, if that makes sense. Right, right. And that's actually the really smart way, because um which maybe we'll touch upon here in a moment, but global sliders um, affect the entire image and they don't really, like if you're using a layer or a mask or if you're just selectively um, touching up, I guess, like a photo, like you're saying, like maybe you just want to sharpen up the eye or the face of a, a mammal or something. But if you sharpen that whole image, it's going to well, sharpen the whole image, of course, the entire frame, uh, the image file. But um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going about it and like, I guess the right way would be the way to put it is that you want to sharpen just specific part like, of the image that you want everyone to like view the eye to, I guess. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like the problem, uh, sometimes people will do sharpening and then, you know, maybe it looks great on their animal, but then you look up at the sky and there's like these chunks because of the sharpening. <laughs> so sharpen those details in the sky, which are, it's really undesirable. So mm -hmm. I think that is definitely the way to go doing the mask and whatnot. Yeah, and like fine tuning, like like selective sharpening, it may kind of I don't want to say slow you down. It might it might add a little bit more time to like the editing process, but it's not going to be much. But like I feel like the the image overall is going to look a lot better as a result too. Oh yeah, for sure, and it's definitely kind of a professional way to do it. I think. Yeah, definitely. It's it's like a step above. I'd say just like affecting the whole image and just working in a singular layer for the image file. It, it, it might be intimidating too for a lot of beginner photographers, but um, I I don't think it's really like it's hard to mess up. Like <laughs> I know, like for example, if you're dodging and burning in an editing software, uh, if you go over the place you're trying to dodge, it could create a halo. You know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? Like a yeah, you can see where it adds light. It's kind of like um, halo banding. Yeah, 
Yeah. But see, the sharp thing is if you go a little bit over, it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. So you don't have to be too worried about ruining your image. Like, if you go a little bit over your subject, then you will still not have any data. So, right, right. Just really experiment with it and you can get some great results. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, it just depends on, I guess, the, the effect in the final outcome you want, of course, um, because you can just affect that whole frame or whatever. But yeah, it's going to it's gonna affect every part of the image, which you may not want either. Um, so it depends if you want, like, I guess, like a, like a realistic look of the image. Like if you do want like a realistic bird shot or something, then, you know, go for that, of course. But maybe you want something that's more like abstract or artistic than... Uh, maybe you do want it to be like a certain other way. So it depends on how you want to approach it. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking uh, maybe we could just kind of go through some of the major slides. Um, just kind of talk about our thoughts here. So we already kind of covered sharpness. Um, so let's talk about exposure for a bit. So just the general exposure uh, slider. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you use that? Um, <laughs> Use it very conservatively, I will say. Um, I don't. I try not to use it too much, um, simply because there is just. It's a very powerful tool. I think it's one of the most powerful sliders there is, because like if you if you like most raw files, of course, start at zero. But if you go all the way up to ten, that's a pretty big jump. And you, if you're checking your histogram like you should when you edit like a raw file, it's a pretty big jump on there too. Um, so it, it's a it's a tool that I use. Sometimes I'm not gonna say every image deserves like to use it because I feel like I do know metering fairly well, and um, I'm just gonna you know work work at the image in the field rather than on the computer with exposure. But I mean like I'm not afraid to like if it was a dark evening and like I got a good looking and focused shot, but like it's too underexposed, you know I'm not afraid to like bump up that exposure or vice versa. Yeah, I, t- I totally get that. You, you definitely have to be careful. It's- it's very like even the slightest like movement is like a crazy brightness jump. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I find on the exposure slider at least I never go past like a stop on the exposure. Right. Um, I just I don't really like how it turns out because like we were talking about earlier, it's a global slider, so it kind of affects the entire image. Right. Yeah, and I feel like um, I feel like early on, especially, it's like I know my experience. Um, if I got like a really, really underexposed image, like it's just a very, like almost completely black frame, but I tried to use that exposure slider to slide it all the way up to save it, but it, you just can't do that or vice versa. Yeah. That. It's, it's impossible. I mean, uh, <laughs> in the beginning, I think you're so excited by the raw file format. You think it's just this invincible file, but it's not. You have to get your exposed to the right camera or at least close to the right, you know? You're, yeah, at least close to like the vision you had, like or like like nowadays. Obviously, I'd shoot like if I'm shooting, um, let's say a waterfall or even a landscape in general, and like it's it's a kind of like high contrast scene, I guess. Um, you know, bright sky, and then like the mid foreground is kind of more um, flatter, I guess, diffused in color. I don't know, I'm just making up things. Um, but it's uh, basically if I'm trying to bracket the scene, or if I need to bracket the scene, I'm saying. And I would do that. And I know that ahead of time, like I'm going to have to compile these images on the computer. Um, but yeah, I mean, early on, I just kind of willy nilly just shot stuff in full automatic, especially um, <laughs> just hope for the best. But then I get back on the computer and I'm like, why are these all like just completely black squares <laughs> or white squares? <Yeah. laughs> I think we've all been there at least once or many times. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the worst feelings ever, for sure. In photography. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that exposure slider won't help you there, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of the next one uh, what is, this is similar to exposure, uh, but it's like the highlight panel. What, what do you think about that? Like the highlight slider? No, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that one up next because I feel like that goes hand in hand with exposure, uh, the exposure slider. Namely, um, so I actually I use the highlight shadow more often than not than compared to at least with the exposure, um, especially in regards to like a global slider like we were talking about, um, because it's it's a global slider where it affects the whole frame, of course, but it also it's very specific to it. So what I'm saying is like maybe you have a very high contrast, like a like a high noon kind of image, I guess, in the woods, 
and there's some really just deep dark shadows on one one side of the photograph, and then a bright sunspot on the other side. And uh, I don't know. Let's just say you want to keep everything well exposed. Instagrams all over the place. You know, just lots of clipping and everything going on. Um, so I'll use the highlights and shadows to bring everything kind of to a more equal, I guess, grounds, uh, so to speak, with the uh, the histogram and everything. And so everything's well exposed. Um, so like it's, it's it kind of gets obvious, I think. But I'll just say it's like the shadows that bumps up or down the exposure for the shadows only in the image. Um, and the, the software should be intelligent enough to read that already. And then obviously the inverse is that the highlights adjust the highlights only in the image. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like an exposure slider and then some, but it's it's a little more intelligent, I think. And it's not quite as overbearing and powerful, um, let's say, as the exposure slider is. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I will say you can still definitely take it too far on the sliders. Like oh definitely. I know yeah. one example is woodland seats with the highlight the highlight slider. If you take those highlights down too far. Like trees look so weird because like <laughs> the relationship of the side light of the trees is like it just it looks so odd. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but like I think so, yeah. I've probably done it before, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen any here of it just like that, but like oh, I'm not talking like early days, yeah. like editing stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's stuff you'll never see, and I don't want to see again. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, but yeah, I like tool is great um, i will say adjust your overall exposure first and then turn down the highlights because um, that way you're getting that data down instead of increasing the exposure after you adjust the highlights so right you definitely want to do that afterwards uh, and then kind of leading on to that uh, with the shadows um, that is definitely different uh, i would say Mm-hmm. at least on my camera I don't know how good the dynamic range is on yours but I have to be careful with shadows um, yeah yeah. Um, since, I'm, yeah since I'm on a crop sensor obviously my dynamic range is a little more diminished than like a full frame of course for example but um, yeah I have to be very careful and mindful of that when in the field of course um, taking the shots because if it's too dark like sometimes I just can't recover that or obviously the same for the highlights too uh-huh. Or even if you can way. recover it, sometimes you'll get that digital noise, like uh, that'll show up with the shadows. Like even if you uh, take your shot at ISO 100, you mm-hmm. can still get noise in the shadow if you bring it up. Because basically, kind of getting technical here, when you bring up the shadows, you're bringing up the ISO in post in that section of the image, so you still yeah. get the equivalent noise value. That was very technical, but that's what's <laughs> happening. So you will get noise. It's yeah. I mean, that's like the closest thing you get to simulating ISO, like when it comes to post production. So yeah, I, I definitely agree there. Um, uh-huh. I, I will mention that, like, and this goes for all the sliders, but adjusting them the hundred percent, either back or forth, doesn't matter. Um, is I don't want to say don't do it. Like I, honestly, what I would say is, especially if you're new to post production on digital like computer and photography, is to just like try. Uh, messing around with the sliders, just have fun with it, you know. Um, just try and like back and forth, drag them back and forth, and see what happens. But um, I know for like the highlights and shadows, is that you know it, everything can kind of look flat if you get everything like uh, how do I say like very brightly highlighted, exposed, um, and there's no depth to it. You need shadow and light for the reason of photography speaking. You need those for depth. And if you don't have any shadow or you know highlight at all, it doesn't matter each one or both even. Is that you know it makes a really kind of dull looking photograph um, overall. Oh yeah, like just contrast and just very undesirable for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you need that contrast. Um, which uh, uh, that'd be a good segue yeah, to the so, next one. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, contrast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll take uh, it. I'll take it away. Um, so yeah, yeah. Con- contrast. Uh, I say it's probably next to exposure, like the most common and sharpening. Like the most common one that beginners and novices probably start with um, because it's just fun to like mess around with and see what happens. Um, but it kind of goes with the previous ones you mentioned. So um, do you use contrast a lot? Uh, this is kind of crazy, but I just, I do not like the contrast light. <laughs> uh, so 
instead of doing contrast, I will do a whites and blacks adjustment. So usually that just means turning the blacks down, or that gives the level of contrast I want. Uh, personally, I find that contrast kind of affects my exposure. So by turning down the blacks panel instead, I can keep my same exposure, but just change the level of contrast. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just rarely touch the contrast slider. I really just don't the over overly contrasty images. That's just not my style. Like I have contrast in all my images, but like it's still fairly neutral, I guess. Yeah, you're 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 only adjusting it like like number 0.4 or like negative four. Like you're you're doing very micro adjustments, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I feel like you and me are kind of in the same boat there, but just editing overall is that we're very meticulous, I guess. Like very micro adjustments. Uh, it's small little parts are moving. You know, we're not doing some big like hundred percent contrast. <laughs> I mean uh, I did that plenty in the early days, of course, but uh yeah, nowadays I'm I'm the same way as you, where I just like well actually I, I do use contrast, I will say. It's not like I just mentioned, it's very small little adjustments, but I find um, especially if I want to like just up the just the shadow and light interplay with the image. Um, not all of them, of course, but if I want to just up it a little bit, I will bring it up to like five, maybe up to 10 if I'm just <laughs> feeling quite adventurous with the shot or the edit in particular. Um, but I mean, I guess that's the nice part about digital uh, photography is that you can edit it, so to speak, like indefinite amount of times. And so like you turn out different edits. Um, you'd be like, this is my high contrast edit. This is one where I flatten everything down a little bit more. And uh, compare the wow. two and see what you think you like best. Yeah, you can even make like a digital copy so you're not affecting the overall image. You just do multiple of the same. Yeah, because uh, raw files are not destructive. So that really helps too. Because um, JPEGs, uh, or even I think TIFF, are TIFF files lossless? You know, I don't use TIFF. Uh, no, they're, they're destructive. So okay. if you make that, it's baked in. They're, they're like a step above JPEG, I think. Like in terms of file size and depth to it. Yeah, so they they retain some shadow and highlight color detail, but not nearly as much as raw. That that's why I don't use Photoshop as much as some other photographers do. Uh, that's why I use it last usually if I do end up using an image because it is destructive, so you can't go back and edit quite as much on the image. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like I said early on, I use that contrast a lot, and I I don't probably max it out, honestly, but I, I use it I like... Oh my, wow. Well, I mean, just for fun, like, because I'm just having fun with it, of course, but, you know, nowadays yeah. I, want, I want something that's a little more... I want stuff that's colorful and saturated, but, like, not overbearingly, like, fake-looking <laughs> most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I only... I use it very sparingly, uh, but not every image, I think, deserves, like, a, even touching that contrast. Honestly, I probably bump it down more than I use it, like, on a positive note. Uh-huh. Higher contrast. Yeah, I feel like as you start to become a better photographer, you really get a sense for contrast. Like it's, it really, it comes naturally to me now. Like I, I just kind of know how much contrast I love. Like I don't, I just kind of feel it out. I know? think it, it's, I think it's interesting to go with all these like tools and editing, like uh, sliders and pieces is that you can, for the most part, you can simulate a lot of them in the field. Like if you just focus well enough, you don't nearly need a sharpening tool. Like, and if you have a nice dynamic range of like a scene or a camera that you're using, you don't really need the contrast so much. Yeah. So, I mean, especially going out on a, like a good lighting day, like there you go. There's, you don't need contrast sliders for, well, you might need contrast, but you don't need to make a major exposure adjustment or, right. yeah, you just pick the day based on what image you want. Right. Yeah. So it kind of goes with all these really is that, yeah, it just depends on what you're going for. and. Um, I, I find it's the best. Like post production is only as good as the image you're editing too. Um, especially like if your image sucks, it's not gonna be saved when editing the image on a computer. It, it might make it better, and you might save it, but it's still not gonna be a good image. Or it could be a great one if it didn't start that way too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's see what else. Uh, saturation. So that, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you think about the global saturation slider? Um, yeah, I mean, once again, kind of like just uh, just like we mentioned with uh, both sharpening and contrast, um, I don't I, I use it a little bit, 
But um, I like to make things a little bit more colorful than they turn out um, because especially if you're shooting in RAW, which I'd recommend, of course, for pretty much anyone uh, with a DSLR, um, that RAW file is not going to retain... It's going to retain all the memory of it, but it's like it, it only like retains it in like a temporary state, so to speak, like embedded into the image file. And so you got to bring out all that color and stuff back. Um, so what you may find is, and this might be kind of like shocking to someone that's never seen like a raw file, like, you know, blown up on the computer, is that it's going to look very, very dull. Like you got this beautiful sunset landscape at the prairie or meadow. And you go back to your computer, you're all excited. It's going to be some warm, you know, orange glow color of that golden hour. And then you get back on the computer and it's like a dull, like, brown. <laughs> like, it just looks like a very, it's like a very muted, like, color palette. And you're like, what is this? It, this is not how I remember it. And I know I didn't capture it to look like this bad. Um, but you got to imagine, it's like, it, the image is there. You just have to bring it back. So you almost have to remember how it looks if you want it to be um, realistic. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... It, so what I'm getting at is, is that like for saturation, I like to make it how I felt in that moment, but also how it like actually looked. Um, so if there's some like nice fall foliage, I'm going to bring back a lot more color and probably a little bit extra just to give it that nice pop um, of color and, you know, later on post, but um, it just depends on what I'm going for with the image. Um, once again, I'm not, once again, I'm not afraid to desaturate things um, or even slide it all the way to black and white, which we can probably talk about next if we want. Uh but. Yeah, I mean, all all the data is there in the raw file, the speedy of raw. So all your color information is there. So, like you said, you really need to remember what's there, bring it out of the editing group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Do you use saturation a lot? I, I, uh, so I don't use the global slider very often. Uh, maybe just a small adjustment, but I'll go to the HSL panel. Mm -hmm. um, it may be something else on Luminar and other software. <laughs> Uh, but it's, I mean, pretty much all the major works have the same thing. Uh, so that allows me to adjust individual colors. Uh, so I find that, especially in like a woodland scene, if you turn up the orange too much, uh, the, the tree branches will start to look unnatural. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll just turn up the greens or turn up the yellows or just whatever, whatever I, you know, whatever the scene looks like. Um, also for waterfalls. Um, so sometimes you're like, if you have a white flowing waterfall, sometimes your camera will capture it as blue. Uh, that has something to do with like the white balance and also just kind of the way it perceives water. Uh, <laughs> and I don't, I don't really like the blue look to waterfalls. So I will sometimes desaturate the blues or not add in blue. So I like using the individual colors. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the waterfall um, uh, example is that, yeah, I'm kind of the same way almost where I don't like it to look too blue. Actually, I like it to look like more like a pure white, but without being overexposed, of course. But it just depends, yeah. though. Some of them actually look pretty, I'd say, like pleasing overall if they're blue. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a case-by-case -case basis, mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean... I, I, I feel like most of my editing is really like global sliders, but like I just minor adjust them. I don't do anything crazy, wow. but I, I'm not afraid that like like what you do is fine tune like the, the sharpening for a specific part of the layer or whatever I'm using. Yeah, I think it's yeah. You know, global sliders aren't bad. Like people get scared off by them. Like you definitely use them effectively. It's just all about using them in moderation, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially like I feel like the older or the more um, invested I guess in the photography you get, you almost forget about the global sliders because everyone gets like so wrapped up in the technical of like layers and masking. And wow. I'm like, but I'm like, for a quick edit, it's those those tools are pretty powerful and they they still work pretty well um, to make things look nice or nicer. Yeah, especially like exposure wise for the global slider. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a I I rarely like raising the shadows i'll definitely turn down the highlights but exposure wise i'm just pretty much using the global exposure so mm -hmm. do you ever do like black and white a lot like high contrast black and white or anything so i have actually not done a single black and white in over a year i completely quit black and white it was just a decision i made i i really love color uh and i, I just stopped doing it i don't know it's just it's been a shift for me, but I haven't missed it. What about you? 
Um, I, I find that it depends on the subject, but like like a waterfall, I almost always, or I mean, any image that has a good deep contrast, like highlights, shadows, or all just like there's a lot of depth to the scene. Um, and like this could be a landscape midday, or it could be a waterfall that just has a lot of dynamic range and um, kind of bursts of color in there. Um, I will like since I'm already opened up with that color image, which is usually what I edit first, and for that reason, is the color one. Um, I'm already in the image, like like file and stuff so i just quickly um throw on the uh, desaturate and just see how it looks and that's just like an afterthought most of the time it's not like i go into there saying like this image is destined to be black and white but you know more often than not i find there's really surprising uh results with the uh, black and white versions too so they're pretty cool on their own um and i don't always edit excuse me i don't always export those but i do like to edit those real quick and just see how they'll look and how they stack up to um, you know, versus the color ones. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's definitely a great way to do it. I think um, I could never be one of those people that does all black and white, but maybe I'll introduce stuff back into my workflow. <laughs> or yeah. maybe try maybe try out the way I do it. Yeah, if like since you're already uh, in there with the color, like export that and then just yeah. flip on the black and white stuff and mess with the contrast and see what happens. You might, have you, you ever just, tried changing the color temperature of black and white? It's really cool what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. I messed around a little yeah. bit with it. Um, uh, but um, I feel like I'm like more adventurous with the, any kind of sliders and editing when it's black and white. Like when it's color, I feel like it's too easy to fall prey to like, like upping the saturation too much. But like when it's black and white, I'm not afraid to like bump up the contrast pretty high and just uh, mess yeah. around with that. Like I feel like that's more like a playful, uh-huh. like, I don't know how to describe it, like, like mood for the image, I guess, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you have more, you can ch- make more changes to black and white images and still kind of have a consistent portfolio, I think. Right, yeah. I, I, like, I'm not afraid as much to, like, make everything look more over the top, like a vignette. Like, um, I usually prefer a very subtle vignette on, like, very, very subtle on most images I take or edit. Um, but black and white, like, I'm not afraid to make that, like, less than half and darken it. So it's, like, pretty noticeable on the image. Like, I'm not afraid to do that when it's black and white. So Yeah, I, I, I'm i going to be honest. I forgot about vignettes. <laughs> it must be, like, seven or eight months since I've used a vignette. <laughs> really? I should, though. I, I just kind of forgot about it. I feel like oh, when they're used... Some people really, um, and like, once again, it's a creative choice, so I'm not going to, I respect it, but like a lot of people, certain people I've noticed, they consistently, like every image has a very big, harsh vignette on it. Um, and I'm not going to say it's wrong, but it just depends on the stylistic choice, of course. But like, yeah, I'm much more of a subtle, like barely tell it's there kind of vignette. And it's usually a dark circle. Um, I very rarely use white ones, um, unless if maybe I'm going for like a high key of approach or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty effective in drawing the eye into the image. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, I think there's like been studies and stuff that kind of talk about that. So I feel like it's, it definitely works. Yeah, it, it it depends on the application of it too. Like maybe you're spotlighting, um, both spot metering and spotlighting a like flower in a dark shaded woodland, and there's a little bit of foliage surrounding it, but it's pretty dark surrounding it, like a black, almost like a natural vignette. Um, which those are cool, by the way, but. Um, Maybe you want to add an extra like circle of it and post a vignette. And that could be a good application where I would max it out almost to 100% if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, more often than not, like you said, it, it's just about, it's about pleasing, finding something that the eye and the viewer can really gravitate towards it. And especially if it's like something like a subject in the center of the scene, um, you're definitely going to want to put like a slight vignette, I think, to just draw in that eye further and um, remove the distractions on the side there, of course. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think. Uh, the crop tool, we did talk about that. Uh-huh. Uh, I know both you and I, we, have, we do a lot of different formats. Like, we're not always the same frame. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's kind of your methodology on that? Um, well, of course, it depends on the subject. Um, I find, like, maybe it's because I've just been using Instagram too much, but, like, I've really grown to, like, the square, like, the one-to-one crop a lot. Um, and I mainly I mainly use that on, like, certain maybe bird portraits or uh, definitely flowers. If I do a top-down flower shots, I find those are nice when they're, like, in a square format. 
um, just because it's very like frame filling and it removes like unnecessary vertical or horizontal negative space, of course. Um, but more often than not, I just kind of stick to like a typical, you know, like a four by five vertical or a 16 by nine uh, horizontal. Um, my preference though. Oh, yeah, that, I love 16 by nine. Those are great. Yeah, or 16 by 10 even, um, if you just want a little bit of like a wider and less uh, skinny format. But um, I find like horizontal, I'm pretty much same at like i just kind of keep it the normal resolution that i shoot the image in which usually is like a 16 by 9 or so um but uh specifically for verticals i usually just crop them down slightly to like a four by five uh five by seven um and that's that's honestly it's it's something that um i kind of been doing recently i guess but like i just find that the verticals look too skinny i, I don't know how to yeah. say it. they're more slender but like if you crop it down just a little bit which i usually have enough if I frame up the subject, whatever it may be, um, well enough, I should have enough space to crop it down uh-huh. in post if I, if I so choose, of course. Do um, you, like, intentionally frame it nowadays to crop for verticals? That's what I have to do now. So, like, the skinny look. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I, 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 I basically, I crop things, or, excuse me, I, I compose things in field, in the field, in camera, um, based on how I kind of want to edit and post um, and I, I do that with some intentionality. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of things with composing in camera just so I can lessen the editing time too, of course. But sometimes you just can't avoid certain things too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty much the same as you. Uh, I will say, uh, I'm not trying to correct you or anything, but 60 by 9 is actually not the native camera aspect ratio. So oh, really? 3 by 2 is kind of the rectangle you'll get on your camera. Um, and then 16 by 9 is a little bit thinner. So it's almost like a panorama format, not quite. Right, um, like a widescreen. So I, I, yeah, I, I really like 16 by 9. I've just started using it recently, um, it, especially for like a woodland scene where you got that annoying white sky. A 16 by 9 can kind of cut that out but still leave a wide range of details. Um, so right. I really like that. Uh, but then for a lot of bird shots uh, for wildlife, I like leaving it in the three by two native camera aspect ratio. Because mm-hmm. uh, I find that suits a lot of subjects. Uh, I'll do occasionally a one by one for that. Uh, then, and then for landscapes, I'm really all over the place. Uh, I do the four by five thing for verticals a lot. I also like four by three. Uh, have you ever tried that? It's pretty cool. Yeah, actually, I do that a lot for horizontal. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's not too skinny. It's also not too wide. It's kind of in between. Right. Instagram hates four by three for some reason. Um, <laughs> Doesn't play but, well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, but eight by ten is also good. Uh, this is one of my greatest uh, dislikes of Canon. They don't let you shoot four by five or eight by ten in camera. I don't yeah, know why. That's true. It's I, very annoying. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to write a letter and ask him. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's a weird that's a weird choice, especially for such a big name like manufacturer such as that, too. Uh-huh. It's so strange. Hmm. Yeah, and the one by one's cool as well. I, I love them all, really. Like, I'm, I'm not oh, yeah, afraid yeah. to experiment with crops. Really. I, 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 there's some like, there's actually like panoramic photographers. Like, they shoot on panoramic cameras, and like, that's all they do. Or like, I don't know, macro, I guess, is a certain type of crop in a sense, but um, I find it's great to like just be open and experiment to whatever the image you think deserves it should be. Because um, not every image I take deserves to be a one-to-one square crop, of course, and it would look yes. terrible. It, it'd be, okay, it'd be like consistent from a portfolio standpoint, but I don't feel like it'd be right creatively to just do like the same thing, of course, too. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like I feel like you can get one by one. Just there's some scenes that just are not built for one by one. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just it's not the way nature is intended. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I feel like a lot of wildlife, you know, sometimes a one by one can just look bad for an animal. It just doesn't do it justice. Oh, yeah. I think sometimes um, yeah. in the landscape as well. Really, like even if you get everything in the landscape in the one by one, it's still not the same as like a sweeping three by two definitely yeah 
Like I said, it just depends on what you're going for. And I feel like it's important to have some forethought and like in the field, know what you want to do with the image if you are so cropping it or any other editing tools, really. Just know what you want to do with the end result, like before you actually take the shot. Yeah. Don't be one of those people that just I hope that waves the camera around <laughs> and gets frames and hope they can put it together in post. Shoot when you're in the field and with the intention of having the easiest edit and you know know your vision for the photograph you almost you know, should you almost shouldn't have to edit it you know uh, <laughs> yeah i mean honestly my best images are the ones that i edit the least I mean, oh yeah yeah oh yeah you can work so hard at something and still be like only subpar for maybe like your standards or something yeah if you have to do a lot of dodging and burning or exposure adjustments it's not gonna look as good yeah so get it right in camera I feel like uh, you you probably agree with me. I think in this instance, but like it's so easy to point out like an overprocessed photo. Like it just looks so obvious. Oh yeah. And it's like I said, it's not once again creativity, sure, but like maybe you're not trying to go for that look. But then it's like at the same time, man, it just it sticks out so easily. Like man, they like over sharpened, over vignetted it, vignetted it. <laughs> they use a really harsh vignette uh, on it. Um, I don't. They just. You can tell they put a hundred percent texture slider. <laughs> yeah, posterized clarity. Um, yeah, there's just oh, there's yeah. so many there's so many tools and it, it, it's hard really when you're going from your computer to your phone. And there's just yeah. well, it's different on your phone, different on your computer. Like when <laughs> you're a beginner photographer, it's just it's quite the challenge, really. Uh, it's yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, don't even get me started about that. Is trying to make yeah. everything look consistent from like a viewing oh, experience. My yeah. Like, I hate it when it's, um, I don't know, someone, like, let's say I post an image on Instagram and then, like, someone's seeing, I don't know, maybe they're showing it to me on their phone or their computer. And I'm like, why does it look so cool? Like, not in, like, a cool, but, like, color, I mean. Uh And I'm like, oh, that's not how I edited it. (laughs) It's like, it's terrible. (laughs) Uh Uh, Or, you know, any scenario like that. It's just, like, it does not look the same. Or you print it and it's, like, just not adding up to how you hoped. Oh so, yeah, like I, I got, uh, I got a family member, a print of this Vista from Michigan. I printed it out, and on my computer, it was there was plenty of detail in the water, plenty of detail in the sky, plenty of detail in like the hill. And when I printed it, there was no detail in the sky or oh, hill. Oh no! Like, it was horrible. I was so disappointed too because it was a big print. Oh. But you got to get a good print shop and adjust for the printing exposure as well. Yeah, I'd say get a good print lab and um, make sure you like can trust them to handle the if they do handle the raw file to make it like look good or to your specifications, of course. Because I, I would hate that for I've had that happen where it's like on my computer, I'm like, this looks good. There's some there's some detail in the shadow, but like it's still pretty dark. Then you print it out and it's like a big black blob like on the corner of one photo. That's like the worst thing ever. And I'm like, ah, but. Yeah, it comes with it comes with years of experience, and uh, I feel like people you have to hone in your your editing style over years. I would say if you want to keep at it, uh, it's not something you just it, learn overnight, and it's going to mature and change over time, of course, too. Yeah, and you really can't learn it from someone else. You really just have to feel it out for yourself. Like there's uh-huh. no like there's editing guides, but it's just different with your camera, different with your computer. Like you just have to learn. Practice, practice, practice. It's really all I could say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like, I I know I borrowed techniques and certain things that have become habits even from, like, other photographers I've met or their processes. But, um, yeah, like you said, it's like you want to find your own way through it all and uh, what you prefer to, you know, take the shots you want to you want to take more of, but also edit them how you want to see them, you know. It is, yeah. It's your work, so make it look like you and what you want to do. Do you want to be known as the high saturation photographer or do you want to be known as something else? I don't know. Like the low contrast, <laughs> the panoramic black and white photographer. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of, yeah, it just boils down to what you want, I guess, most out of image taking. Yeah. So, uh, anything else to ask? <laughs> um, no, I mean, there, there's a lot more, but, um, that covers the base for a while here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking uh, we kind of went in depth on the core basics of editing. So maybe if you, if you guys like this, let us know. But maybe we could do an episode on kind of like the 
exposure blending, focus stacking, Composites. kind of the more computer assisted kind of editing techniques, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd be interested in doing that. <laughs> like a bracketing, all that stuff. Yeah. There's a lot. Advanced but. post-processing. <laughs> Digital. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be fun. So, yeah, maybe we could do that sometime. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, got any announcements? Uh, no, not really at the moment. Um, I, I'm not really looking forward to the end of spring just because of uh, the summer uh, slump. Yeah. yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. But, uh, you yeah, know, green, the green leaves everywhere. <laughs> and the waterfalls dry up. The birds aren't as sing songy or colorful, um, most of them at least. But, you know, I'll make do with it. I always do every year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to more camping and traveling. I think I'm going to do more on the oh, road cool. stuff, nothing too far away, but you know, just more out there stuff, of course. Um, yeah, not, not too much else though at the moment, but how about you? Yeah. So I've been posted some of my California evidence on Instagram. So make sure you check those out. <laughs> um, uh, don't have a lot of laughing listeners, uh, but you know, check those out on my Instagram. I should. I'm sure they look good. I, you know, it's definitely not like I've talked about the past year, but yeah. Um, also, uh, if you go to huntsphotovideo.com, um, I've got an ad up there now. So I shot an ad for the uh, Minimax stool. So if you look that up, uh, you'll see my ad on the product page. So if you'd like to watch that, uh, check that out. Awesome. Uh, there's also a video on my YouTube channel that I did about it as well. So that's pretty much it for me. Awesome. That's news to me. I'll have to check this out. <laughs> ah, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. As yeah. always, we appreciate it. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.